kind of guys who'd make you feel like that? Oh no! Hey, it's Doug Belshaw, co-host of Today in Digital Education. This is the last episode of Tide, and that's because Di's no longer with us. This is a celebration of his life. And while we're sad, we're going to remember what he was like. And thankfully, this episode of Tide isn't me talking um, for two hours by myself. Um, thankfully, I've got a, a co-conspirator, a good friend of mine, Ilan Ezekiel. Ilan, are you there? I'm here. Hello. Excellent. Ilan is um, a good friend of mine, a, a regular listener to Tide. Uh, people who have listened to many episodes of Tide will, rec- will recognize his his name and the fact that we've referenced him lots of times, his blog posts, his activities, his work. Um, so maybe we'll just start, Elan, like when you think of Dai in your, in your mind, what kind of comes to mind? What's the first thing you think about? I think, uh, and, and this is partly an apology for not having quite what Dai had, but I think it, the voice, <laughs> I think there's a sort of, uh, uh, and a lot of people have commented on this since his passing. And, um, but there's a, I think there was a, an attention and a sort of uh, a really distinct, a really distinctive and lovely voice to listen to. Um, and obviously, it sounds quite superficial in a way. But um, I think of all the, the the conversations that we've had and the the range of of both serious and, and very silly topics that we've covered. But the sort of, um, the joy of listening and talking with Di, um, I, I'm really going to miss his voice and the ideas that it conveyed. Mm. So for those who haven't listened to Tide 119 and in my instruction there, um, Di passed away at the start of August um, whilst on holiday of a, of a heart attack suddenly and and peacefully we don't have any more information um than that but um i have got a bit of an admission to make about something you've picked up there elan which is i was so jealous of di's voice <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too i'm, I'm, I'm really conscious of that sometimes, this. That sometimes yeah. and especially in the early days of tide i would we um i would always be the one who edited and, and put out um tide because di was always busy you know he worked um he lived at the place he worked he was a um a working at boarding school and so i did the editing and sometimes i'd use the this this program called audacity for the the editing and i try and like lower my voice <laughs> <laughs> i get it i get it i'm sitting here with an alcoholic beverage but partly with the hope that it would bring my bring my voice a, a few tones semitones down mm-hmm. it's not working I only need a, a rolly and um, yeah. he not only yeah. said very, very wise things, but he said them in like this, this, you know, the only other people I can think of who had a, uh, such a recognizable, recognizable or, you know, voice like that would be something like Ian McKellen, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was yeah. always a bit, I was always a bit jealous of it. And, um, yeah, tried to, in the early days, try to do something about it, but you know, never really managed to. <laughs> I think I think I think everyone listening will forgive you. We all know. We all, yeah, I think that's. Uh, and I think that that's the other thing is that you know some people with a great voice like that might have used it to dominate a room or to 
throw that around. I mean, everybody would comment on it. I mean, he was, he must, have, he, he, I know he was aware of it, mm. but I don't, I can't ever think of a time when he used it in a sort of, look at me and my lovely voice. I mean, after a few drinks, maybe a bit quietly, but not in a sort of, do you know what I mean? And, and uncertainly in his conversations with you on Tide, I never felt like, you know, do you know what I mean? And, and that's that conversational gift that he had, which is that no, uh, it never it never got in the way. But uh, I think if I had had a voice like that, I mean, I'm, I, I, you know, I don't mind the stage. I don't mind uh, those things. Oh, but if I had a voice like that, oh my God, well, I would have, I would have done with that. Anyway, <clears throat> Well, the the interesting thing is that if you if you go back to the archive, so um, as I said, this is a hundred um, tied episode one hundred and twenty. If you go back to the very first episode four years ago in two thousand and fifteen, um, the introduction music was just some crappy stuff that I you know did on some music maker app, um, and then a few weeks later, um, Di said, "What do you think of this?" And to my shame, I had never heard "The Tide Is High" by Blondie at that point. So I didn't know that he'd actually recorded um, like a, a custom version. So I was like, oh, yeah, sounds good. And I never, like, I don't think I ever really properly thanked him for doing this custom version of The Tide is High, where he references, you know, uh, The Tide is High, we're moving on, it's dug and die. Um, I feel really bad about that. Yeah, I don't know. Did you, did you clear the rights on that? I should uh, probably shouldn't Maybe mention not. That, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> sitting on the dock of the village, he takes us out. Um, yeah, yeah I don't think we cleared that either. It's, it's, short, it's short enough. It's short enough. You're clear, don't worry. Yeah, we do have a different <laughs> um, outro this time, actually sung by Di, um, thanks to Amy Burval, who shared um, this this cover that he did of, of Buddy Holly, uh, True Love Ways. So we're going to go out to that today um, after we've, we've finished hearing from lots of people who sent in their contributions. But talking of Amy, I think we do need to, to thank her. Um, yeah. Yeah, do you want to take up the thread? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we all found out in different ways. And I, I think uh, I, Amy, for various reasons, uh, was, was one of the first people in our, in our, out of the group, of, out of this bit of, a, of Dyer's network to, and ha- had the job of having to share the news. I, tr- I tried to get hold of you, but <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to where you were, and I'm, I'm sure you'll, you'll tell that bit. But... Um, I actually, it took me a good couple of days to realize uh, and, and actually take the time to thank Amy for being that first contact for people and to, not only did she share the news, but she also listened to me and, you know, uh, for various reasons, I wasn't with my kids and family, they were away at the time and um, it was quite weird um, hearing that news and not having anyone immediately with me to you know, the people I normally share things with. And Amy obviously was dealing with her own feelings about it, but was brilliant and looked after me. And, and you know, she was in, she's in Hawaii, so she's in a different time zone and all of that. But she took the time to um, let me get come to terms with what she was telling me and, and the news. And also helped a lot of other people, I think, partly through use of social media to organize and channel some of this distributed emotion uh, because of the network that Di had in different countries and different work, walks of life. And, and, and really, uh, I, I know you feel the same. 
But we really need to start with thanking Amy for, for helping us all through this. And for, she really bore the brunt of the initial contact after that news. And it's, it really does deserve proper thanks. Yeah, because a tweet went out from an acquaintance of Dai's who lived in the same place as him. And everyone was scrambling for information. And Amy, and you as well, Elan, uh, did a fantastic job of, of you know, responding to people individually, DMing people, etc. And I want to thank Amy in particular for that kind of leadership, especially when so many strong emotions are involved. And also in terms of just having the wherewithal to not only get yeah. these Barefoot for Die. There was a hashtag Barefoot for Die uh, started by uh, Dougal McCormick. And Dougal recorded his thoughts whilst walking barefoot, I think maybe for one of the first times intentionally, um, and, and just his thoughts. And he used the hashtag Barefoot for Die. And um, Amy went around everybody who'd shared these on Twitter and asked if they would upload the video to uh, an app called Flipgrid. And we'll put a link to all of the Flipgrid videos in the show notes. But I think it might be worth just playing the audio with permission from Amy um, in this Tide podcast episode so you can get a flavour of what diamond to Amy too. I almost didn't do this barefoot because uh, Di never made me walk barefoot. He liked that I didn't care about it really and I wore shoes. But... I'm at the beach, or I was at the beach when I filmed this, and I'm remembering all the times we went to the beach. We went to Porth Corno and Cornwall and the Atlantic coast in Maine, um, Portland, Maine, and also San Francisco. First time you saw the Pacific. And then the Northern Sea as well, outside Hull. I wanted to share a poem that I wrote the other day for him. No Shoes in Heaven. There's no shoes in heaven, I'm sure you will find, but the folks you will meet are as generous and kind as you. There's no guilt in heaven, no regrets too, no what-ifs or maybes, no what-should-I-do, it's true. There's no cheese in heaven and no cigarettes, but the peace you will find is far better yet for you. There's no me in heaven, and few of your friends, but we promise we'll get there and meet in the end with you. So what I'm just remembering um, funny things about Di. He always said uh, his name was Welsh, not an instruction. <laughs> I remember having to find him one time at a train station and I kept saying, Di, 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 and everyone looked at me funny. Um, he loved saying the word uh, crumbs, just kind of like that. So I, in this video, I wrote it with my foot because it was more for him um, sort of an overwhelming sense of delight kind of feeling. So here I am writing crumbs. He'd do that when something is proper tasty or <laughs> or he was just, yeah, overwhelmed, I guess, with with delight. I'm really glad that uh, we got to spend so much time together and uh, get to know each other so well. I'm making a list of quirky things um, that he did and said and hopefully can share those with some of you and of course his parents as well.
because Dai really loved the quirky bits of people. He said, we have jagged edges, and he was the first to say he was wobbly and had a lot of jagged edges. Um, and I always like to remember that about him, that what appealed to him most about people were their jagged edges. So, here's to you, Dai. Good night. So I'm trying to think of what, you know, in terms of the first time I met Dai, but the first time I met Dai, just like most of our interactions, Ilan, it was, it was online. I didn't actually meet Dai right. that many times, maybe like fewer than 10 times in person, I would say, because... When do you reckon that was? The first time. Yeah. In, in person I'd... would have been Teach Me Bet, like 2008... Okay. All right. Okay. And I would say, obviously, online before that. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I was going to say, I think roughly the same time, but when I, because I think I saw saw you guys talking, and I thought you guys, and that explains it because you had been interacting online, but I'd assumed that you'd sort of hook, you know, met in person beforehand. But yeah, I think it was around about the same time. Um, just to give the context on that for those who um, you know weren't around at the time, so Twitter came out in very late two thousand and six, and a bunch of us joined in right at the start of two thousand and seven, so like January two thousand and seven, and Twitter at that time, you know, there's been plenty written about this, but Twitter was an entirely different beast, and it was a wonderful thing. I was doing workshops. In the, in the, you know, lunchtime workshops in the school I was in and teachers were shaking their heads saying they would never use this thing. But, um, you know, Dai was certainly one of the teachers who, um, you know, like yourself, jumped on it. You know, uh, Lisa Stevens as well, um, loads of other people. Um, Mary Kucha we're going to hear from soon. And EdTech Roundup, as it became, was such a wonderful, wonderful thing. It used the Open University's Flash meeting. Remember Flash? Um, <laughs> This, yeah, this, but I mean, Tom. Maybe we can find um, the tweet that Tom Barrett put out. Tom was a, a linchpin as well, and and it ended up with you know sometimes twenty odd of us in this virtual meeting, uh, with lots of little preview windows. And you used to can you remember Elon? You had to press the button to put your hand up to talk. Yeah, uh, I, it, see, I have a confession. I didn't join in with EdTech Roundup. I uh, I was aware of it, and I remember. Uh, Tom talking about it, Tom Barrett talking about it, and a couple other people telling me uh, that that I should do it. And I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I wasn't that bothered. I didn't, you know. Um, I think at the time I was selfishly doing my own things, and and and, and I think Twitter was quite a big was was a, was a I was quite overwhelmed by it initially. It was so embracing, and um, the, at the time it felt very positive, and you know, without sort of going in that whole halcyon days route where uh, everything was better in the olden days. It was, I was trying to understand the voice thing. How do you, how do you equate the real person um, that, that, you know, and your real issues with this sort of public voice? And I, and I think what was really interesting about um, some of the people that came through all of that was that some of them were exactly the same as they were online. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, uh, Lisa, for example, is the same in person as she is online. You know, she's glorious. And um, 
you know that that sort of thing. There weren't. I think those sort of spaces where we where teachers were were sharing. I was just I was trying to get my head around Twitter, so I was I was kind of impressed. At Tech Roundup was that Di just kind of would always volunteer, put his hand up, you know, um, mm. any time conversations needed leading, uh, whatever. And eventually became not just, you know, people said, oh, I'd love to listen to what you guys talked about. So it kind of accidentally became a podcast. Um, yeah. started as a bit of a, of a chat. And so EdTech Roundup went from, what, about 2008 to 2011, something like that. Um, and, yeah, maybe we could listen to, to Mary Cooch, who talks about um, EdTech Roundup. And I now work with Mary Cooch at Moodle, and I had oh. never met Mary before starting at Moodle um, now a couple, of, a couple of years ago. So we'd spent a good 10 years interacting with each other online, including through EdTech Roundup, without meeting each other in person. And I didn't realize how much of a huge effect Di had had on her career until I listened to um, this bit of audio that we're going to play now. Um, then we'll hear from Joe Dale, um, who was one of the first to respond. He's a podcaster himself and the MFL Twitterati podcast with, with Noah Giesel. They, um, they talked about the, the sense of loss they felt um, on that most recent podcast episode. But he recorded this straight away um, when he heard of, of Di's passing. Um, and we'll also hear from Kevin McLaughlin in terms of how he felt, especially when he met Di at things like Google Teacher Academy. So we'll listen to those three um, and then we we'll back to, to Elan and me. I remember Di from the early days, just over 10 years ago of EdTech Roundup on Sunday afternoon. In fact, that's how I also first encountered Doug. I was very shy at the time, just getting into Moodle. I never said anything. I just listened on a Sunday and lurked in the background. And Moodle was discussed. In fact, Di was using it at his school in London at the time. In April 2009, I went to my first ever Moodle moot. I'd, I'd written a book. I did my first ever presentation at any conference ever, actually. Um, and the materials were put up on the site. And the next time we had EdTech Roundup, I, I never said anything, of course. I just lurked in the background, as usual, listening to everyone else. And then Di popped up and said, hey, everyone, Mary did this really great presentation at the Moodle Moot, and the, the links are on the site, and you should all go and look at it. Mary, do you want to talk about the Moodle Moot? And I thought, oh, my God, no, please, please. I'm too shy. I'll just mumble. I don't know what to say. And actually, obviously, I did say something, basically, just to say, oh, just go and look at the presentation. But in retrospect, I'm so grateful to him for forcing me to come out of my shell and speak because it helped me become a little bit more confident as the years went by to go to more presentations and to speak elsewhere online. So it literally was the first time I'd, I'd opened my mouth in such an environment. And I've died to thank for that. So thank you, Di. Hi, Doug. It's coming up to 10 o'clock on Friday the 9th of August, and we've come to the end of the Sidma Folk Week. I've had an amazing time seeing lots of interesting acts and songs and presentations and dances and all the rest of it. But when I received the shocking news about Di's passing uh, just before the Spooky Men's Chorale on Saturday night, of course, Di's been very much in my thoughts all week, and... Even though I can't say 
I knew him intimately, as uh, as I know some of his obviously friends did. Um, I feel I knew him very well, and I've I got to know him over the years. We first met virtually on Twitter, and then obviously the EdTech Roundup um, virtual meetups in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I think it was. And he always came across as a really lovely, genuine guy. And then when I met him face to face, I think at the the early Teach Meet bets. Um, and then just just last year when I came to his school to do some training and we met up for lunch and it was just fantastic to, to see him. And I remember um, putting my hand out to give him a, a handshake and he just said, come on, Joe, just give me a big hug. And it was that was really die all over, I think. Um, just a very genuine person. And it's just, it was a pleasure to know him. And I feel very sad this week that he's no longer with us. And as other people have said, the fact that I'll never bump into him again serendipitously or have a chat with him or ask him some advice on whatever it might be to do with EdTech. I will really miss that. And I will really miss his, his soul and his warmth and his personality. And this week I've been watching different videos on YouTube and on Twitter that people have posted and it's just been really lovely to to echo the the, the gut reaction I had that I've always had when I've known Dai. Um so I think it's a really nice idea to to do this tribute um to him. And um I certainly will be catching up on lots of the Tide episodes which I, I have missed in the past. I remember in fact the last time I saw him I remember saying to him um, that uh, I just listened to one and it was an hour, and, an hour and 40 minutes long and he sort of laughed and said uh, well basically it's just designed to be something along the lines of a brain dump with myself and, and uh, Doug it's not uh, it's designed to be listened to by anyone but of course listening to it you can see the the rapport that y- you both had and the affection you had for each other and it was a fantastic listen so I look forward very much to catching up on old episodes and reminding myself of what a lovely guy I was and uh, hearing his voice and making it all real again. So love to you, Doug, and um, I hope this tribute helps everyone to come to terms with the awful news. Thanks so much. Bye for now. So where do I start with die? Well, it, I would need to go back to when I first got to know Dai, and that was at the Google Teacher Academy. And the thing about Dai, what I suppose everybody will remember about Dai is that magnificent gravelly voice. But Dai had this ability to walk into a room and everybody's focus would be on him. He just had this natural inclination to bring you into him. This ability to draw people to him just for his absolute generosity and kindness and spirit that he evoked at every opportunity and what Dai had a gift of being able to do was have an air of nonchalance about everything sort of not a care in the world but you knew that wasn't true because when you had that opportunity to speak with Dai, Dai gave you every single part of him. There was no other detail in the room that mattered, no other conversations around, nobody else. It was just you and Dai. 
And that's what I loved about Dai. The fact that he gave you, him, everything when you had a chance and that opportunity to talk to him. So that's, that's impact on, on Mary was huge. I mean, to, mm. to, to credit Di with basically giving her the confidence to do all the stuff that she's doing now. She, she is the voice of Moodle now. She is the one who does all of the, the screencasts to literally millions of people. It's incredible. And I think the, that sort of confidence and faith and encouragement you know, there's some people, you know, and I, I, I've been probably guilty of that sometimes being a primary teacher, you know, there's that slight tendency to sort of, come on, yes, you can do it, that sort of encouraging voice. There's that sort of way of encouraging people, which can be, which can feel quite, uh, I don't know, can feel a bit patronizing. Mm. Um, uh, and I, you know, it's something that I've tried to, tried to train myself out of since leaving the primary classroom. Anyway, um, but... Di, uh, it's that, you know, from what Mary's saying there is that sort of active encouragement, that confidence to say, you absolutely have got something to say. You've absolutely done great work here. You deserve the credit. You don't need to sort of fanfare it, but you know, I, 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 see, your, I see the great work you've done. And, and I think that's the sort of thing that um, uh, Di did a lot. And his, you know, and, and as going to what Kevin said about that, it, when you were talking to him, it felt like he gave you everything. And that is absolutely true. I think uh, I'm going to tell a little story about something that doesn't put me in a very good light, but um, is, is, is definitely true. And I think it says something about, it, it speaks to this thing that I did. So this year, um, as, as I think the past five years, there's a, uh, an event called Camp Ed, which takes place in the uh, North Yorkshire Moors in an activity centre there for schools where a bunch of teachers and their families get together and hang out for the weekend. Now, that sounds horrific, doesn't it? All that talking shop, all that um, moaning about staff room cupboards and all of that stuff. But no, it's a, it's a great event. And I, but I've only been twice. Um, for various reasons, but it's been, it's made a big impact, big impact in me for different reasons, uh, both times, but Di, and I was trying, I had tried to talk Di into coming before, and uh, he came this year, quite short notice, and I, and we were all, we were there, and one of the things that happens is that both the uh, adults and the young people, everyone can set up a, a, a workshop and an activity, you go to the things you're interested in doing, and it's, it, there's always something, people are incredibly generous and incredibly open. And it's always amazing when the young people do take a workshop. And um, one of the evenings, um, I won't name the kids because I don't want to embarrass anybody. Or, uh, but one of the te older teens shared a she had a session about leading a uh, a group at her school about feminism. Now, for a for a sort of teen teenage girl to set up an event open to all her friends, but also some of the, you know, the whole, the whole school to come along to this event was quite a big deal. And for her to present that to a bunch of people, most of whom she knew, but it was still quite a big deal. Anyway, we were all settling down and she sort of, she had the initial slide up and people were still, I don't know, a few drinks. And I was chatting at the back with Dawn Halibone. Now, I was, we were, we were settling, but we were still chatting. And this fantastic young person was starting to talk and we were still chatting. 
And most everybody else was ignoring us. This, this person, she was getting on with it. But at a certain point, Di turned around and looked at me. And he went, shut the hell up. <laughs> and it wasn't, and it was, and I've got to tell you, this was no joke. Other people started laughing and then they looked at Di's face. And he really wasn't joking. He was pissed off with me. Hmm. And I was, and because I was being rude as far as he was concerned. And I was being rude and disrespectful. And I, at the time, there's this weird thing with shame as an adult that you don't often, it's not often you get called out in that way. And I, um, you know, my initial reaction was to be like, oh, come on, I'm just chat, oh, you know, and then nobody else was giving me, you know, I didn't get approbation from anybody else. But there was a thing where when I reflect back on it, um, that Dai was giving that attention and focus and that complete attention. As Kevin said, he gave everything, right? And, mm. and he did that with his students, with his colleagues, as far as for, for the ones that we've spoken to in the past few weeks. Doug, I'm sure you've picked up the same thing. Mm. But he did give that attention wherever it was needed. And at that time, um, uh, and I think it came from a deep respect for people. And, um, and I think what, you know, you were talking about when you first meet, you know, the first meeting guy, when I think I met him at a, a couple of events, but it appeared that like, he, that confidence and that respect was, and the way to handle that appeared like fully formed. I, I, I still struggle with that. I really struggle with, um, you know, I think we most of us struggle with that, but I was very confident about that ability, you know, about giving people attention in that way. And I think it, it's so, uh, when, when he does, when someone does that for you, it's so motivating. It's so encouraging. It gives you, it gives you that belief that you can do something. So I totally understand where Mary and Joe came, are coming from. And, and as Kevin, uh, and Kevin said, I think that they really spoke to that, um, uh, that deep respect for people. And um, well, I think I think the thing on reflection about Dai was that he didn't, and, and that story kind of sums this up. He didn't really differentiate between people being children and adults. Like he, um, obviously, in terms of safeguarding and that kind of stuff. But what I mean in isn't in, in terms of the way that he talked about it and, and treat you know treated kids. Like he just saw them as other human beings, um, and you know, yes, they could learn from him, but he, 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 the way he talked about kids was with the utmost of respect um, yeah. and had this really strong sense of justice. And I think that kind of, he had this kind of rebellious spirit where any time he talked about people in, in positions of responsibility or positions of, um, you know, uh, adulation, he just saw everyone as being, you know, the same, the same kind of human condition, which I, I really appreciated. Um, the... I just wanted to talk about when I met him after a bit of a gap. So what happened was in 2009, uh, I went off to, to I, I went to work in, in an academy and I had a, a tough time. And in 2010, um, I went to work in, in higher education and basically Di took over at Tech Roundup a bit um, as I moved out of working in schools. And in 2011, eventually at Tech Roundup finished. So I didn't really have many interactions apart from the occasional Twitter conversation, whatever, between 2011 and 2014. And in 2014, yeah. October, 
He was up in, in Newcastle. I live in the northeast of England. And he was in an event organized by Simon Finch. And um, I went to this event. And we went, for a, went to, uh, uh, to a coffee shop. And Di was such, as you know from Tide, such a conversation, <laughs> such an easy person to talk to, that um, two and a half hours later, as we're, you know, coming out of <laughs> he wasn't wearing shoes which he'd actually only started doing in that kind of period in between yeah um, yeah and we decided that we really missed ed type roundup and it was at the time when i was just about to leave mozilla and leaving mozilla was a hard thing to do because mm. it's mozilla right and i was finding trying to find my feet as a consultant etc and really that friendship that i properly struck up with die from early 2015, I guess, or from that October 2014, really supported me through that time and really helped me. The, the kind of the regular heartbeat of the Tide podcast really supported me in that endeavor. Um, just a fun fact, I, I went back and listened to some of um, the first episodes of Tide and we were going to call it um, Any Given Sunday or Invisible EdTech. So I'm quite pleased we ended up with... <laughs> I, th I think I think the rest of us who were listening were quite glad about that too. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that I think you know I think it would be really great to li to listen to. We've got some really great clips for people who enjoyed Tide as much as uh, as much as I did. Um, as much you know, uh, and I think what was really clear was how much you guys were enjoying the conversation, and I think. The rambling, the somewhat longer episodes, the going way off topic. Doug, God, did you guys go off topic? Um, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. like half an hour and stuff, and then we realised that who cares? Um, so yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We, you know, uh, we enjoyed you coming in, Aris. It was. Uh, oh, great. thanks, Ian. Um, so one of the interesting <laughs> things was that. Um, as these podcast episodes got longer and longer, my wife realized that I wasn't going to be in anytime soon and started turning off the lights and whatever. <clears throat> as you've already pointed out, we'd often have a whiskey and things. So we'd start recording at maybe, you know, 7.30 in the evening. Or maybe, sorry, start talking at 7.30 in the evening. We might have a half an hour chat, then hit record, and then it would be 10 o'clock before you knew it. And then um, <clears throat> I would say something that he didn't want to put on the podcast episode afterwards. And then it would be, you know, half past 10. So it'd be like three hours. And at one point this was every week, which was fantastic. Um, yeah. Amazing. But it, but it, I think that's what, I think that's what came through so strongly. I think that, you know, I think it'd be great to listen to, because I think I got, I did, I was one of the people who did creep into your, in, into Tide, but I didn't, as much as it was, uh, I think it'd be great to hear from Laura in a minute, but I, uh, like her, I harbored a, you know, uh, a, a secret desire to join in the conversation. So it was great to be on it, but actually listening to you guys talk uh, without butting in, as much as it pains me to say it, is probably more fun. Uh, I mean, I, I like obviously talking to you now and talking about uh, talking about Di is great, but I think I realised that it was the chemistry of you two that was great, and it'd be great to hear from how some other people felt about that. So. Well, should listen to, listen to yeah. Laura Hilliger, um, Laura, a good friend of mine, a member of the co-op I'm part of, um, only met Di when I introduced her to him in person at BET, 
um, at the start of this year. But again, she felt like she already knew him loads through online interaction. So we'll hear from Laura. We'll then hear from John Johnson, who was part of those EdTech Roundup days uh, about, about Di's voice again. And then Ken McCarthy says something in his, um, in his little contribution, um, which <laughs> made me laugh. Um, <laughs> and I said to my wife, and then she laughed as well. So uh, let's just listen to those, shall we? Hi, everyone. This is Laura Hilliger, and I'm recording on Tide as a tribute to Di Barnes. This is actually not how I wanted to be on Tide, to tell you the truth. I have been thinking about crashing Doug and Di's weekly podcast for years. Uh, I've heard them talking about me behind my back on the show enough times. You know, I, I had plenty of comical retorts to stuff that Di was saying. And the show had just a fantastic flow and tone. And it's never going to be the same without Di, which, of course, we know. Um, his passing rattled me, but I think he would want me to make some sort of a joke. I, of course, don't have one right at the moment, but maybe you can just close your eyes and imagine Di kind-heartedly joshing you about something absolutely benign. Um, I'm really going to miss him. This is uh, John Johnson. I was really sorry to hear about the, the death of Di Barnes recently. It's a bit of a shocker. I don't know if I've anything particularly deep or meaningful to say, but I certainly remember Di. I'm not sure if I ever met him in the flesh, so to speak. Um, I might have bumped into him in a teach me if he ever came to Scotland, or I might have seen him at the odd bet I went to down south. But... I knew him online more than anything else, his presence in different places. The first time I can really remember him was at EdTech Roundup, which was a sort of community podcast chat that uh, I think Di ended up sort of being in charge and herding cats in. Uh, and I can remember very clearly the interface, which was provided by some university or other. It was a nice flash thing uh, that she shows everybody's photograph uh, in nice wee squares and the one who was talking was at the top and I was often at the top he was good at uh, leading and making sure there was no dead space uh, on the air and I guess I get more used to his voice once I started listening to the, the, the Tide podcast and it was a nice podcast to listen to. There's something special, I think, about two people who know each other while chatting online uh, or in a, a podcast and listening in. It's almost as if they include you in that, their friendly conversation. And Di had a, a very particular presence. What I liked about uh, his attitude, what he did on the show was the way he would be quite emphatic about something. He might disagree with Doug. He might change his mind. Um, very often I would feel that the I was disagreeing myself and they would either swing round or they would swing me round in the conversation. And I had a, a lovely sort of friendly, never too serious, but never too flippant attitude to all the topics they turned about. I also saw him on and off on other services, Twitter and Laterally, Instagram, where he 
I think had a similar taste to my own of uh, pictures of bits and bods and I remember as the light but photographs where he was using a, a an eBay uh, magnifier to take close-ups of things uh, and it cost him what, two pounds or something on eBay and obviously really pleased with it and having great fun uh, and I seemed to bring that sense of fun to everything he did so I'll certainly remember him uh, I know an awful lot of other people knew him a heck of a lot better than me and will remember him too but his voice will be missed cheers Terry Pratchett said, no one is actually dead until the ripples they cause in the world die away. And I'm pretty sure that the ripples that Di has left behind will last an eternity. I never met Di, but listening to him and Doug on the Thai podcast, I couldn't help but feel connected. We are a similar age. Actually, I'm slightly older, but I always thought I was younger. And I felt that if we ever did meet, we would have had a lot to talk about and would have shared many a story. I can only imagine what it must have been like to have him as a teacher, as his passion and commitment were plainly obvious. When I heard about his passing, it genuinely shocked me and it made me reflect on the mortality and fragility of life. When I tried to explain Dai to friends and family, I was amazed at how much I knew about this man that I had never met. Every detail gleaned from listening to Tide. His propensity for walking barefoot, his enormous monitor, his trials and tribulations with Alexa, the fact that he was a smoker, and more recently, his gaming experiences with Red or Dead Redemption. Listening to Doug and Doi sometimes felt like you were eavesdropping on a conversation that, while loosely constrained by technology and education, was just as likely to end up anywhere. Doug being the younger idealist and Doi as the more world-weary and cooler older brother. I think Dai probably was that guy that we all wish was our cooler older brother. Rest in peace, Dai. So, yeah, thanks, Ken, for calling Dai my um, cool <coughs> brother. Does that make you the, the uncool younger brother? That does, doesn't it? He, says, yeah. uh, he said that I'm the idealist and Dai was the pragmatic, uh, world-weary, cooler older brother. Um <laughs> Which is absolutely spot on. So. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny that because there are, there are times when you go, he sounded that way. But I think one of the secrets about Guy was that actually he was much more of a hippie than, than he let on. You know, there was a, there were, I think sometimes that crept through. Um, but yeah, uh, so actually sometimes the way you two danced around your idealism and pragmatism was part of the joy. So, but yeah, he, he came off sounding what he, sorry, sorry, Doug. He did come off sounding wiser, <laughs> even if he was talking some hippy-dippy nonsense. Um, well, yeah. one thing yeah. I really appreciate about Guy was that, you know, I am vehemently against private education and I've already kind of <laughs> because of that. But Guy, as yeah. you say, danced around the subject um respecting my position without kind of you know um selling out his own position and was such such a good listener um and and also you know he had his favorite words and favorite ways of saying things like oh that's interesting uh, and that's right mm. isn't it? Yes. And then mm. yeah i did a thing once where i sent him a a running 
I did. Uh, I didn't. Yeah, I sent him a thing where I, while listening to it, I did a, a, a running total of how many times he said "quite interesting" in one of the podcasts. I can't even remember <laughs> what it was. And then we got over the twenty-five. At that point, he was like, "All right, enough, enough." Bingo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Well, um, let's let's go back, and uh, I want to intersperse. Um, there's going to be. I mean, there's plenty of these contributions. He was so well loved, but um, you know, Burn talks in his contribution about an episode when he was in Idaho last year um, in 2018, again at the same uh, friend's house. Um, so I thought I'd just play an excerpt from that tied episode 105, I think it is, where Di is talking about what it's like sitting on the porch kind of thing in, in Idaho. And then we'll hear straight from um, Ian O'Byrne, who said that, you know, Di maybe knew something that we didn't. Um, and then we'll hear from Aaron Davis and Noel DeMartin, uh, both of whom mentioned one episode in particular, 115, I think it was, where Di was in an interview lesson, decided to jump on a table. So we'll go straight into that Tide 115 excerpt. Um, so, so here we are, first Tide 105, um, then Ian, Aaron, and Noel, and then Tide 115 excerpt. So we'll see you on the other side. <laughs> Never mind. So how long are you in Idaho for? Um, so I'm doing a month um, from the middle of July to the middle of August um, and not doing anything special, but I've been doing some great things. Being, I found um, straight away, I found this hot yoga place, um, which sounds a bit ironic doing hot yoga and I'm already in a hot yoga hot yeah. place. Um, but it's really good. So I go, so most mornings I go and do 90 minutes of hot yoga, um, which is great. And they had this great deal of 20 days for $20. So I don't really have to pay for it. Um, I do as much yoga as I like in that time. And, um, and so I do that. Go, I go there on a bicycle, which is cool. Um, not very many bicycles around in America um, or in Idaho or in Boise. I'm in Boise just at the foothills. Of, um, it's, yeah, it's really cool. So it's a really upcoming place. A lot of Californians are moving here, apparently. So, um, so Gil and Laurie have been in this house about a year and a half, and it's already got up 40 to 25% in its value. Wow. Uh, and because so many people are moving here. Um, it's a really, really lovely town. It has different kind of vibes going on about it. Um, it's really cool. So on Saturday, we were out busking. So Laurie plays banjo in a band. So the band were out busking at the, uh, the farmer's market, um, which was really cool, really well received. Um, I made 150 bucks, um, kind of thing. It's really good. Uh, and what else have we been doing? I've been uh, rafting on the river a couple of times, which is amazing. So you go, you, you know, you organize cars and this is just with friends. It's not like through mm. So Laurie's sister does this. Um, so you go on either on a kayak by yourself or a couple of you on a kayak or you go on a big raft, which is just a big dinghy really with a structure inside it. Um, and you row up and down, um, uh, not, no, you just row downstream and you go through the white water. And, um, and my gosh, this is such a beautiful place. So you're drifting through the mountains um, on, on this river and um you know it's just fir pine trees fir trees whatever either side of you on the mountains going up and up and up this is ian o'byrne i wanted to take a minute to have some thoughts to share about die barnes um i feel like i uh, don't know die as well as many others do i've listened to die ad nauseum through all of the episodes of the tide podcast um, i also had the privilege of you know, being one of the, the first members of the, the Slackerati, the Slack channel um, that Doug and others started up 
um, and Dai was a member of. So I sort of rubbed elbows with him in digital spaces. But even then, I don't feel like I knew him as well as I could or should have. Um, he seemed to be, from the little that I understood, a very um, creative, insightful, um, perhaps spiritual to a certain extent, uh, individual. Um, one of the things that strikes me the most about Dai is that um, sometimes, you know, when someone passes, the, the, the universe is sort of letting you know ahead of time that something is about to occur. I've had this happen with, um, you know, family members where, you know, you, you usually we don't pay attention to the little signals as they occur. Um, but with Dai, maybe it's just me reflecting, but with Dai, it was interesting that a day before I was listen, listening to a podcast and they were talking about uh, somebody on the podcast basically said that, you know, the world is full of secrets. What's yours? And so it made me think throughout the day and I was going to tweet out, you know, what is your secret or what's something that you know that other people don't know? So I was thinking about that a little bit. And then I moved on and I was watching, as I've tweeted about and talked about in other videos, I was watching a documentary about Shangri-La and, and Rick Rubin and and Rick Rubin was watching, you know, walking around barefoot. And I, and I was thinking to myself, the only person that I know of that really does that is Die. That's so weird. Um, and so those two pieces really connected for me. And, you know, now I can go back. Um, and the very next morning is when Doug sent around the messages that Die had passed in his sleep. And it was really, uh, it was crazy to think back two, three days after the fact that, you know, these are like these little signals, like the universe was sending me messages. And so this morning I woke up because I wanted to think a little bit more uh, before I prepare for this. So I listened to episode 105 titled, I don't know, Idaho. And it's a really interesting episode for me because Dai is calling in from Idaho and it sounds like he's sitting on a front porch and it's this very ethereal there's buses coming and going and dies like cursing at the buses um and and it's this very uh interesting uh you know it, it makes me think that die was an individual that just always saw the beauty in the world and it's like die knew something that the rest of us don't know um, and that he was in tune to these things because die is basically commenting and he's describing what life is like in in Boise, Idaho and how beautiful it is and what the mornings are like and what the afternoons are like. And, you know, I went to, I'm riding bikes and not enough people ride bikes around here. And I went uh, rafting and, and he just, he was, the way he was describing things, it, it, it was like a magical experience. And I think that not too many of us take the time to really pay attention to these things, the way that die, uh, did in that in that episode, and I'm assuming the way he he did in the in the rest of his life, um, and so it, it really made me think for a moment the type of individual that Die was, and, and and it makes me reflect, as Doug said in an earlier tweet, it made me reflect on what I want. Um, you know, it, it's made me think about my own life and my own choices, and how much attention I pay to what others think. Um, do I focus on what I need or what I want 
as opposed to what the needs and other of other individuals are around me. Um, you know, focusing on the the important things in life, focusing on the beauty in life, and ignoring all the other bullshit. Um, and so that's one of the things that I'm going to choose to remember about Di. So Di, thank you. I'm going to try and remember the little things and remember how beautiful life is. This is Aaron Davis from Melbourne, Australia. Any of my thoughts on Di's passing? Reflecting on the death of David Bowie, St. Vincent spoke about on Song Exploder podcast that she wrote the lines, we've lost a hero, we've lost a friend. And I kind of felt the same sense when hearing of Di's passing. Like someone like Bowie, I, I never met Di. And really beyond uh, a few back and forwards, uh, email, texts and so forth online, never really communicated with him. But I felt like I really made it really made an impact on on who I was, and along with Tide, on how I approach things. I've listened to every episode from the beginning, and I'll be honest, I have sped them up. Uh, two hours can be a long time, but listen nonetheless. And although there were many times when didn't always agree with Di. Um, there are times when he really did challenge me. At the end of the day, though, it was his manner and the certain positivity that he brought to the conversation which always led me to come back. I think I'll miss the uh, openness and honesty that he brought to each and every episode. A particular highlight was one of his recent reflections on missing a, a job interview where he found himself caught in a moment and standing on a table. You know, I don't know if I, if that was me, whether I would have always shared that, yet Di didn't seem to think twice because it didn't really matter. Hello, my name is Noel and I've been listening to the podcast a little over a year. I only knew Dai from the podcast and some conversations on Twitter and Mastodon, but still he's someone I've learned a lot from. I would like to talk about some of the ways in which I was reminded of him these last months. One thing I learned is going barefoot. Since summer started, I always walk barefoot at home, and it may sound silly, but I hadn't done it before on a regular basis. I also went running for the barefoot for die hashtag on Twitter and it was really fun. But I've realized I'm just grazing the surface on this. I don't know how often he did it and I thought it was more of a recreational activity like hiking or running. But seems like he did it more than that. Maybe Doc can explain it for those of us who didn't know him that much. And there is something else that made me think of him. He explained something some episodes ago that stuck with me. Whenever I've been taking myself too seriously, this image of Dai, as described in the episode, came to mind. And I was reminded to enjoy life and be myself. So I would like to play this clip where he explained what happened to him on an interview lesson. So I was doing a, a, an interview lesson um, and it was for a deputy head position. And, um, and in this interview lesson, it was... Um, 
um, I, I, I had come up with this idea to introduce a social credit system. And then I introduced the lanyard. I'm not sure if I talked about this in the last episode, actually. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. And, um, and this lanyard thing they have, they, they're trialing at the Bank of America now. Um, and the lanyard has cameras and microphones and RFID and NFC in it and that sort of thing, different sensors. And, um, and so I showed them this, like the snippet of this video and then a snippet of this lanyard uh, uh, play in the, in the workplace, which tracks your behavior. So it doesn't record what you're saying. It records like the temperature of your conversation. So it records how many, you know, how many, how, uh, how long a meeting would last, how much you contributed to a meeting, how much you spent talking, how much other people, mm. and it divvies that up and it starts to basically, um, uh, <laughs> mine the data or map the data uh, um, about your behavior in the workplace so that they can work on improving efficiency of your, your performance. Um, and they also make claims about it's like, you know, how many women get invited to key meetings? How, might, how long do they contribute? Are they asked questions, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how it's selling itself kind of thing is that you can, um, you can check levels of equality and diversity within the workplace as well as productivity. And it's an opt-in basis. Not anyway. So we talked this in the lesson. Talked all this to the students and um, showed them a couple of videos about you know snippets of videos, um, what what it does, and explaining itself. And talked about it a little bit. And then I said, okay, this is what I want you to do. And we're going to organise ourselves into small groups of three or four, and you're going to develop a social credit system for your school, um, whereby teachers can no longer give punishments or rewards, and it's all going to be automated and done through facial recognition based on your behaviour within the school building, and. Um, um, so, okay, all oh, right, brilliant. So we start looking at what that is and how many points would you allocate? How many points would you reward? What would the, and what would the punishments and what would the um, rewards be for when you did, you know, got high scores or low scores um, and all of this sort of thing. And the lesson went really, really well. It's, you know, it just sort of, um, it, 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 it encourages really good discussions to go on and the children to reflect upon um, it. And I would sort of stop them and say, okay, what I want you to do is build an, is to write an ethical algorithm here, one that you would want to be governed by. So this is the sort of shoes that I want you to wear when you're thinking about this is to make an, an algorithm that would um, actually, um, that would, you would be happy with and that you would want to operate under without, but it would have to achieve its goals, obviously. Yeah. And, um, and so we did that and lesson went really well. And the guy had got me um, a sort of a generic Google account to share my stuff with. So I could get the children to share it with that and then I could put them on the board and go, you know, pick out some pieces of the things that they had identified and discuss them. Um, towards the end of the lesson. Anyway, this Google account didn't work. And, um, and I was like, oh, it, yeah, no, it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. And he said, no, no, no. So we got all the children to share them with him. Um, so that, cause he said, I want, um, I, said, I want to show it to the head later. I want to show him what, what show him what you've come up with. And, um, I was like, oh, that, you know, it doesn't get better than that in an interview lesson. Come on, nailed it, nailed it. So we're getting towards the end of the lesson and I'm being my, much like I am now, you know, I just sort of talk with sort of momentum and too quickly and enthusiasm, I guess. And, and, um, and so I got carried away a little bit by the end and I was asking them rather than putting it on the board, I was asking them, so what's the key things, what the takeaways in, from your social credit system, you know, what did you come up with? And, um, and they said, Oh no, you, you do the thing. If you get to like 800 points um, and then you couldn't, you get into the zone where you couldn't get any punishments or something silly like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. And I got, no, you can't do that. Imagine you got to the last week of term and you've got a thousand points and you're safe as it were. You could just, you could go around, you could be swearing at teachers and you could be jumping on the tables. And with this announcement, I jumped onto the table and started, <laughs> 
Uh-huh. There I was. And then I just sort of caught myself standing on the table like Jesus. Um, <laughs> and I just turned around and saw this old guy observing me in the corner in this interview lesson. <laughs> anyway, needless to say, I didn't get that job. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very entertaining. So, so that I can't, I can remember listening to that because some of the times on Tide, you know, it was me who got a lot of the links up. It was me who was trying to think about what was going to come next. So some of the times I was only half listening to Di and, and often I'd listen back to Tide and realize that I hadn't really listened to half the stuff that Di had been saying, but I, I, remember, I remember listening to this story and he was waffling on and stuff. And then I'm like, hang on, what's he doing? And then I start like stopping typing and doing what I was doing. I'm like, what's he doing? And then he ends with, and I got up on the table and like Jesus. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I could, I, you know, and um, Aaron says this really well. It's so unusual for someone to tell a story as honestly as that in such a public way because it is it's it's the kind of crazy thing. That we, you know, we've all done wildly embarrassing or slightly inappropriate things, but to have such a great ability to laugh about it and like I was Jesus, I mean, right, you know, that sort of sense of what was I thinking? But hey, that's kind of what I did. It was, it was uh, just joyous, just such a just a and, um, funny uh, sort of semi-worky thing here is that. I was really inspired by that lesson. I was like, oh man, I've got to, uh, and in the work I was doing, I, it was a real opportunity for me to use that lesson, uh, that session idea. And I, I sort of tried to write it out. Like, what, what did he go in with? And I said, uh, I said, have you got a lesson plan? He was like, lesson plan? <laughs> no, <laughs> I knew what I was going to do. Uh, I didn't plan on jumping on the tables then. So, um, uh, I, I had a hidden slide which I sent him and I didn't use it in my work context which was uh, the notes for teacher to inform me with an illustration of how to jump onto a table which he appreciated um, and it's still a great lesson by the way and uh, I'll, perhaps I'll share that uh, later. Well but, it was interesting because um, that interview lesson um, as well as one he went for a job interview in Switzerland um, Yeah. Well, and the, I think he did something similar there. And that, that basically came out of an episode of Tide where we were talking about Chinese surveillance. So yeah. a perfect example of the podcast leading directly into his professional life, as it often did in mine as well. I think, well, I think, you know, Di and I talked, and I think you guys talked about it on Tide, but a bit more obliquely, because I think obviously you have to be aware of the different sorts of people who might be listening. But one of those interesting things about the setting in which he was working and um, trying to make his stories translatable to other people that was quite difficult was that Dai wasn't a big fan of planning. <laughs> uh, and um, that's quite an almost heretical thing to say. And certainly not, not all teachers get to be in that situation. And uh, a lot of that was to do with his confidence and his professional competency and the, his, the fact that he, you know, he, I'll part that because that's a whole story about his, uh, about how he got to be where he was. And that's a different story. But I think the, to be able to um, draw on what you're interested in, to turn your curiosity, your personal 
inquiry into the world, your open-mindedness into uh, the stuff that feeds your lessons is an incredible gift. It's the sort of thing that we all, when we're, you know, once in a while I've done a great lesson. You know, there are times when I, I could probably on my hands tell you the, the lessons that were just like, yes, everything came together. But I'd spoke to Dad quite a lot about the different sorts of lessons and because I, I, I did kind of struggle with the private school thing too. Uh, as you know, I'm also not a big fan of the private school thing. And we talked a lot about how he, how, how, what, how the learning was different. And he talked quite a lot about how he pulled that together. But mostly it was from his deep inquiry and interest. And what was interesting to him at the moment, he wanted to share with, his, with the students, with the young people he was with. And again, there's that deep perspective. I'm interested in it. Here's, and he took the time, and the thing he took the time of uh, over was to show them how it might be interesting to them and to make that relevance rather than say, here's a load of knowledge you need. He helped them come to that. And I think that's, that lesson is a great example of that because the algorithm, the algorithmic thinking that is really the, the ideal output from it comes through, uh, can come through lots of different ways. So it was a, it's a great lesson and a great model of why, what made him a great teacher. Yeah, and uh, you know the thing to remember is that Dai put in the hard yards um, in the state sector, and I think that the private sector actually gave him the freedom to do some of the stuff that you've talked about there, because yeah. he didn't yeah. have to, you know, change his scheme of work every year because the Minister of Education decided that things had to be done differently or, or whatever, and he so prized those relationships that we were talking about earlier. Um, yeah, he was he was quite the guy. Um, we're going to hear from uh, one of well one of his colleagues in a different school uh, actually so a, a peer of his in another private school Tim Jeffers um, Wayne Gibbons as well um, over in Ireland um, and also from Tim Claptor who wrote a, a great blog post about the influence that he'd had um, the diet had on on him um, Tim lives in a, in a as you'll as you'll hear he lives in a remote place um, Wagga Wagga in Australia. And so you'll hear from Tim and Wayne and um, Tim uh, now. Uh, and just to kind of get a bit more of a picture of how Di's life impacted on people who never met him in person. I never actually met Di Barnes face to face, but we worked in similar schools and he was really, really helpful to me, sending me bits of information over the years. Uh, but most of all, I loved hearing him on Tide, always really wise, well thought out things. And of course, as my wife will point out, a lovely voice. Hi, this is Wayne Gibbons uh, in Galway, in the west of Ireland. Um, I didn't know Di personally. I had a couple of correspondences with him on Twitter and Mastodon, but uh, I mostly knew him through the Tide podcast. And uh, it definitely came across from that that he was a gentleman. Um, the relationship that he had with Doug, and I think it's fair to say with the listeners as well, was excellent, and he was a pleasure to listen to. I just kind of regret that I never got to actually meet him in real life, uh, but when I saw the uh, notifications coming through on social media, it actually kind of shook me, even for somebody that I didn't know personally, so I suppose that says something about the... Um, about the man that he, he could have that effect on, on somebody at that kind of distance so he'll be missed and uh, i'd like to send my condolences uh, to doug and to 
Dai's family and friends. He seems to have had many, many uh, friends all across the world from different circles. Um, he'll be missed. So I wanted to send a fond farewell to Dai and a bon voyage as well. It's been a real pleasure to get to know Dai through the podcast. Never actually got the pleasure of meeting him face to face, but living in regional Australia, um, being able to kind of listen to Dai and connect with him through the podcast has been a really kind of tremendous experience. And I think it demonstrates the power of the technology that Dai clearly advocated uh, in a world to kind of connect people. And that was really um, a strong sense of what Dai was really about, was really connecting with the people and using the technology to actually do that. And I, for one, can kind of vouch that that experience of getting to know Dai through the conversations with Doug, um, really get a sense of who he was. And when people kind of dismiss technology, uh, I think I'll always remember the way that kind of Dai has been able to kind of inject himself into people's lives through the technology and really demonstrate the kind of beautiful person that he was and... Um, Got to, we got to share that through using those technologies and that's been a real pleasure. So, bon voyage, die. Elan, can you remember the time when Dai came back from Goa in India and sent us some underpants? Oh, yes, uh, that was one of the weirdest... I don't know about you, I get, I get Amazon posts... Uh, I get, you know, bills and sort of formal-looking documents, but bloody hell, that was a weird parcel. Uh, Can you remember, did you open the parcel before you knew, like, before he told you? Yes, yes. It yeah, was just like, oh, I, 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 it was so, because, you know, the world is a weird place, and, I, you know, I, I, my first thought wasn't, perhaps a kind friend has thought of sending, I was like, why is someone sending me pants? Hmm. What, you know, is there some weird thing going on? So he came, he, when he was in, when I was in Goa, he bought um, like tight bamboo underwear. And when he got back to the UK, he was like, you know, this is amazingly comfortable. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, but he could only buy them in packs of three and he wasn't quite sure about it. Um, and so, and we talked about this on Tide as well. Um, yeah. So he wasn't sure about it because you had to put your male parts, it had like a separate pouch for it, shall we say. And he wasn't it was sure. A pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wanted, our, he basically wanted um, Elon and I to give him our opinions on um, how, how comfortable the, this bamboo underwear was, which was kind of a joke, but also I think he was quite serious as well. Yeah, no, I think he was. And, you know, uh, he did ask for a pretty serious review. And they, uh, uh, I think you and I had different experiences them. I didn't find them quite as comfortable as, as I think. I think you don't want to speak too strongly for you. That's obviously your personal experience of how you're... I went for a oh, yeah. yesterday morning uh, wearing, wearing Dye's uh, bamboo underpants. So, yeah. Okay. All right, well, I, I did try them out. I, play, I went play Frisbee, I did, and I was, yeah, they just didn't work for me. But um, he did ask for a review. So I did have to write him a why I didn't find them comfortable, uh, which, I, which I'm not going to put on social, uh, just to save, your, save everyone. Uh, 
dignity, <laughs> let alone my own. Um, but that, but that, I think that you know it wasn't. Yeah, I think that it is a it's a sort of thing that uh, you know I, I've felt more inspired to do because of die. I think you know to do why why wouldn't you? How comfortable are these pants? I don't know. I'll ask some of the guys whose opinions I trust. Why wouldn't you do that? It seems really obvious, but <laughs> to be confident enough to do it. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the unexpected parcel still, that was a, that was a, that was a special moment. <laughs> Class. He, um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to read out my blog post I wrote after his, um, after his death in a moment, but um, he bought, I, I was talking about this game, Red Dead Redemption 2, and all of a sudden he's just like, right, I've bought a PlayStation 4 and Red Dead Redemption. How do I set it up? Let's play. Um, and, you know, that's the type of thing he would do. He'd just, like, drop a few hundred pounds, um, you know, because he lived by himself and was, you know, living on site and stuff. He would just, like, right, let's let's do it, because he valued the the friendship, valued the relationship, wanted that kind of connection. It was It was lovely. Um, so it wasn't just the students, it was, you know, the people he knew like you and me and all of these other different friendship groups and stuff as well. Mm. I think the, uh, it's a bit of a longer story of this, but I'll keep, keep it short. I, I sort of, there was a period where I was depressed and, you know, struggling with some aspects of my mental health. And uh, I, at some point, I think as Di and I were talking more and getting to know each other better, um, I used to play guitar loads uh, when I was, you know, in my 20s. And then it just sort of one of those things that I stopped doing. And I didn't, he could have been like, oh, yeah, let's jam. Let's let's play guitar. And he didn't. He, he asked to borrow my guitar for some, I can't even remember what the reason was he came up with. He came up with some reason. He was visiting a friend nearby and he wanted to take a guitar with him. Anyway, he said, I'll bring it back. Don't worry. And, uh, and I'd said something about why I wasn't keen on playing. It was an acoustic. So I, I used to play electric lot, but I wasn't that keen on the acoustic. And he was like, oh, okay, well, why don't you like it? And I didn't think much of that conversation. Anyway, he took my guitar away. And he came, when it came back, he'd had it adjusted. He'd had the, the action lowered. He'd had it just beautifully uh, adjusted. And it's now a joy to play. And... We then we then discovered Soundtrack, which I don't know if you've you've used, which is a it's a music um, app, which is awesome, but it's really good for collaborating asynchronously on music. So he challenged me to play while my guitar. No, no oh uh, no, um, I challenged him to do that. Uh, uh, um, here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. He challenged me to play that, and I went about. The obvious thing, which is you do know, is you look at YouTube how tos, and I learned the hard version with the capo, and I came back and I played, and he listened to my version. He's like, "Man, why did you do it the hard way? <laughs> like, well, I don't do it that way. I play it at the, the normal, the normal tunings." And he said, "You would have, you know, that, well, you know, good for you for doing that, but you know, I just play, I just knock the songs out for fun. You know, you don't have to do it exactly like the original." And it was one of those things where. Not only, you know, he, he encouraged me and supported me in getting back into playing in the most, uh, yeah, sort of oblique way. It's just great. But yeah, he didn't, you know, I don't know how much it cost him to do the guitar. I don't know, you know, I don't know how many, how many hours he spent sort of tuning, commenting on my uh, awful soundtrack recordings and stuff. But again, that's, well, you know, know, that's sort of... About getting his guitar done. But again, you know, he, 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 didn't, he didn't tell me about getting yours done but that's the measure of the guy that's that's what he did yeah 
Yeah. But um, I think there's a personal, there's a, you know, there's a, you know, I think there's, there's, there's a lot, you know, we talked a lot about the professional side of, of Dai's work and some of the work that you guys did in, you did, you did in showing, talking about tech. But, you know, I think, I think, I, I think there's a lot, there's also, with that, there was also the personal, you know, Dai wasn't all about work and it wasn't all about business. And I think it's, I think it seems like, you know, we haven't, we're not going to share any of those on here, but we did, and there are some on Twitter, but we have, I think both of us have had contact from some of the students and other people in Dai's life saying what a big impact he had, not really about work and learning, but just on their personal development and, and their, their wider lives. And I think he did that as in, interchangeably. I think it was all one of a piece for him. And I think uh, we've got some interesting clips about that. Do you want to introduce um Yeah, well, just before that, the number of direct messages that I got and you got, and um, one in particular, uh, I'm not going to name names, it was a direct message, but um, this person had worked with Dai at his previous school. Dai was at uh, Arundel School, um, uh, and he had been for a few years when he he died. Uh, He's head of digital strategy and and teaching computer computer science. But um, before that, he'd been at St. Benedict's in, in Ealing, and someone got in touch with me saying that he'd taught with Dai there and he was still basically um, living off the advice he'd got um, from that point. And this person said that a friend of his who'd also worked with Dai had uh, had finished a PhD basically um, having been encouraged onto it by Dai and asking mm-hmm. Dai for advice all the way through it, um, which is incredible really. All these kind of like all this influence that he had without making a big song and dance about it, just um, the influence he had in lots of different people's lives. Okay. One person who got in touch with me, um, I, th- I think I know, I knew pretty much everyone who got in touch um, other than, than this person when they did get in touch with me was Michelle Smith. Um, now, Michelle's email came out the, the blue to me. I didn't know who Michelle was, but she's shared something which I think stands by itself. Um, along with her barefoot video, um, Michelle was obviously someone that Di got to um, to know reasonably well in in the last weeks of his life. So let's hear from Michelle, um, an American woman who. Um, yeah, let's just hear about how Michelle remembers Di. Di's name means beloved, and he was beloved by all who knew him. He was passionate about work, relationships, nature, learning. He was passionate about life. That's what drew so many people to him. He infected us all with his enthusiasm and zest for life. He leaves behind a legacy that spans generations and continents. Dai's influence and reach was enormous, and it will continue as we all live what we learned from him. He touched my soul deeply, and he freed me from one's more social constraint. You see, I'm a barefoot nature girl, and one of my mottos is rules are meant to be broken, trails are meant to be followed. I love to go barefoot, but I always followed society's rules in public. No shoes, no shirt, no service. Well, along comes the barefoot runner, and he freed me from that rule. Uh, We went into a nice restaurant and as we waited to be seated he held my gaze and he just said don't look at your feet 
don't draw any attention to them. It was one of those simple, thrilling pleasures just to be breaking the rules, and it felt great. Um, I went barefoot for a while after he died. I don't know if it was just to walk away the sadness or to feel the earth the way he felt it, but for whatever reason, when I went to hike with my shoes on again, um, I only lasted about five minutes before I had to take them off because they were so uncomfortable. And that just made me laugh. Um, I'll never be a barefoot runner, but I'm definitely a barefoot hiker these days. Um, words just uh, can't express the loss that so many people feel at Dai's passing. So to honor him, I know we must uh, celebrate life like he did see him in the beauty that surrounds us, cherish our memories, and live his example. Like so many others, I'm so grateful for the time I got to spend with him. He will always be remembered, and I will carry him always in my heart. Thanks, Michelle. So... This next one is from Philip Pitcher. Pitch worked with Dai at Andal School for five years. And as you'll hear, Dai was instrumental in really supporting and helping Pitch uh, move on to, to bigger and better things. Uh, Dai and I joined um, Andal School at the same time uh, in, what, I think 2014? Um, along with, with, with several others. And... Um, sort of closely bonded in that first year. Um Dai was was really was really good to me um in the sense that I was a brand new teacher um had never taught before was unqualified. Um and he quickly sort of um sort of, I suppose took me under his wing and helped me um grow as a teacher and um was very kind to me stepped up and and took on um, the role of, of my PGC tutor for a good time um, and supported me in my NQT. But it wasn't just that. It, w- it was um, just the the friendship we grew and the beers we drank, the dinners we did, the walks we did. Um, he was a great big part of my life um, for the five years at Andor, a full boarding school. And for those of you who've worked in that atmosphere, um, you build very close friendships with with staff, certainly some staff, because you just spend so much time um, at school. Um, you know, Di, Di was a great um, a great influence um, on on me as a teacher, and um, I'm just so hugely thankful to have been able to have the time with him um, that I did. Um, but I'll never forget his his humour and the many abbreviations that we created and randomly emailed or, or sent in the internal mail all the the rubbish that we used to chat over a few pints of Timothy Taylor's Landlord in the Common Room Bar. Um, uh, he was just uh, an incredible man and somebody who will stay with me um, in my memories for, for forever. Um, and I suppose the lasting memory um, is him, or the one of the lasting memories is, is of him 
um, supporting me in, in getting the promotion and job at the new school that I'm at now, um, taking on the head of geography role and, and he was so supportive and helpful in, in guiding me and making those decisions. Um, so, you know, a top, top bloke. So there we are. Um, one amazing connection that's come out of the, this whole experience is that Elan and I have realized that we have another random connection that we, we didn't know about. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so, so let, what, let's just make sure we get this right. So my, my sister and my, my wife's sister, um, her husband, so my brother-in-law, um, my brother-in-law's family lives in the south of France. And it just happens that um, Elan's family has been on holiday in France. And I'll let you take up the story, Elan. Yeah, it's even, even weirder than that. My wife's parents live... Actually, it's in the Chiron, which is sort of in, in, in the Cognac, it's the middle of the Cognac region. Oh, okay. And it's, it's not wildly full of expats. I mean, it's, as parts of France, it's, you know, it's, there's, 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 there are a few around, but it's not as much as, as other bits. And um, my in-laws live uh, in a village with three expat families. And uh, the, the ones they're cl really close to, are, uh, it turns out, your brother-in-law's parents. That's right. So, <laughs> but it's this, and we we see them every summer, and we visit them, and we we've done birthdays with them, and caught up with them. And we saw them. I saw them uh, a week and a, a week and a bit ago. Hmm. Uh, and so randomly, Di went on. You know, Di went on a holiday with you there once, didn't he? Yeah. And so yeah, Di has met my brother-in-law's parents randomly. <laughs> this connection to to me at all crazy. Yeah, it was a. It was. It's it's great. I mean, it was a. I think that connection uh which we i don't know how i don't know how i still haven't quite worked out the uh, the probability of that it's just it's so off there but it was a, it was a it was a great weird trip because you know like um my in-laws don't have very many people to visit and they were uh you know there um and but they put them you know really at ease and they had their, um and they got on really well with your your wife's, your brother-in-law's <laughs> parents as well. Um, and, um, you know, we managed to talk about Brexit without anyone killing each other, which doesn't always happen between me and my, my father-in-law. And I managed to make that possible and make that an easy, uh, a couple of very easy evenings, which they aren't always um, talking about politics. Um, but, uh, and we also went running in the vines uh, in the area, barefoot running, which was a real lesson in just how tough that thing that he did was. And I know that there are these barefoot videos, which I think some, some of them uh, are people talking, there's definitely David Rogers talking about Di's advice about um, barefoot running, uh, definitely worth watching. Um, but watching Di run was a lesson in so many things. Uh, and also just look, you know, uh, just physic, physical, wisdom in it about how to do it properly but also about pacing it was a uh, and, and in the heat it was quite a it was quite an experience well talking about you know we'll not read this because it's an epic post but for those of you listen to tide and you know i don't know if this is the first episode you're listening to or if you listen to them all but back in 2016 um die 
wrote a blog post called One More Step. And he'd been to the Samaria Gorge in Cyprus, was it, Elam? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it was his first holiday that he'd ever been on by himself. And he, when he came back, in fact, no, I talked to him when he was there. He, uh, and I think we recorded an episode of Tide um, there as well. But he wrote this blog post after, after drinking a few beers. And um, it was a fascinating story to, to read. Now, I really wish he'd written more blog posts, but obviously he was so busy doing his digital strategy stuff. And in this blog post, he talks about the pain that he went through walking barefoot in this red hot scorching gorge with like armed guards at the top and, and things. And he wasn't allowed to put his feet in the stream. It's an incredible post, a wonderful story. So, um, you know, if there's only one thing that you click on um, in the show notes after listening to this, I really would encourage you to, to read that blog post from th- three years ago from, from Dai. Um, amazing, amazing stuff. But right now I'm going to read a blog post that I wrote um, in the aftermath of, of Dai's death. And Elan, I'd like to thank you for your kindness, friendship, um, ability to listen to someone who was obviously in pain. And... Um, right. Yes, I stepped off that plane in Boston, and um, I had a I had a million messages <laughs> because I switched off all my social media stuff, and so I had all these text messages and emails and missed calls and stuff. And um, you'd been, you know, very kind and not mentioned, you know, not specifically mentioned what you were trying to get in touch with me for. Um, but I think Brian Mothers, um, another good friend of mine, um, you know, wanted to tell me what was going on. And so I read as I was walking and I just stood there. I just stood there. When I managed to get myself together, when I got back home, and before I got back home, after I'd spoken to you for couple of times for a couple of hours I wrote this blog post there we go RIP Di in memory of a good friend Di Barnes was my partner in crime we'd posse up steal some horses perhaps rob a bank and then have a dramatic shootout with the law all the while on PS4 voice chat not only would we talk about how much of a great game Red Dead Redemption 2 is but also life the world and everything Di would swear like a sailor we'd laugh we tell each other stuff we probably wouldn't have shared with other people. Men don't really call one another up and just have a chat, which is one of the reasons why I found recording the Tide podcast with Di so amazing. We recorded Tide for just over four years, from March 2015 until this June. It was just like having a chat with a mate while drinking whiskey. It just happened to also be a podcast. Tide didn't come from nowhere. Di and I met in October 2014 in a Newcastle coffee shop, when he was up north for an event. I hadn't seen him for a few years and actually forgotten he went barefoot. We talked about how much much we missed the good old days of EdTech Roundup, which was between about 2007 and 2011. Dai was a bit of an enigma. At the same time as there being layers and layers to him that you'd peel back as conversations unfolded, he also wore his heart on his sleeve. I've never known anyone like him. He was fiercely loyal but I've learned, also kept his friendship group separate. He was around a decade older than me, but it didn't feel like that at all. 
Dai had such a youthful exuberance around about him, and I've never met anyone who has had such an affinity with kids. It really was his mission in life to be the best educator he could possibly be. If there's anything that Dai's taught me over the years, and I feel like he's taught me a lot, is that there's nothing so important as human relationships. He also taught me a healthy dose of pragmatism gets shit done. And finally, knowing a little of his personal life, he demonstrated how to keep it all together and show courage under fire. What a guy. I miss him. One of the hardest and best things about Dyer's Dyer's death has been reading and listening and watching this community of people react. And um, I, I cry, I've cried, and uh, I, 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 as I said earlier on, for strange reasons, I was on my own a lot uh, the first week uh, of hearing, but your blog post <laughs> reduced me to tears on the floor in my kitchen, and I specifically remember cursing you quite loudly. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why, but uh, because you made me cry. And because you made me cry, that meant that this was real and that I really was dead and that I really had to deal with that. And uh, I think I called you quite a lot of names. <laughs> so I'd like to apologize to you and thank you. And I also want to say thank you to not, this is not like on behalf of, this is just personally for myself because. Grief is quite a selfish thing, I think. Mm. And I think I felt really grateful to everybody, all the other people who wrote, who just, just sometimes just the quickest tweets, just watching people take the time and the things that people said um, meant a huge amount. And I, I, I think it's not just a testament to die, it's also a testament to all of us, actually, and that we're, you know, I think, uh, I can't remember who was it who said it, some one of the, um, oh, I think it was Michelle, actually, she said something really great about that, that he was, a, 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 there's a model for us to live by, mm. and I think, I think your blog post, and I think a lot of the things that people have said, and the, the, the contributions, we've all helped each other, and I think Di would be pretty happy about that, I think he'd be nodding his head sagely um, with a with a drink in hand and maybe his new vaping pipe, whatever that thing was called, um, yeah, it's had, on the edge of his lips. He had a pipe because he decided <laughs> a, vaping, a normal vaping kind of th- device yeah. was, it was just too common. So he liked he <laughs> a one that looked a bit like a Sherlock Holmes-esque pipe, but it was a vaping <sighs> thing. Yeah. So I, I'm seeing him with that in his hand, looking as pretentious as possible, just going, yeah. mm-hmm, taking the piss while also appreciating what, what, what we've all done. So, um, well, yeah. I think the, the, I wrote a, another blog post uh, once I processed thing a bit more on, on Thought Trapnel, which I'm not going to read out, but I, I entitled it and it was, a, it was a quotation that I stole from Plato, but it was um, a blog post called It Is the Child Within Us That Trembles Before Death. And it was exactly riffing off your point, um, Elan, about how grief is a an absolutely selfish thing because you end up thinking about your relationship to that person rather than the person themselves and the impact that they had in, the, in lots of people's lives. Um, one thing I think it's important to say um, is that 
there's a memorial service at Dice Old School, Oundle, uh, near Peterborough in the UK at 3pm on the 29th of September. So that's Oundle School at 3pm on the 29th of September. And from what I understand, it's an open invitation. And the thing, you know, Elon and I are both going to be there. Um, and I think the thing which is such a shame is that um, like Amy in Hawaii and Tim in Australia um, and other people around the world aren't going to be there because it's just, you know, it's too far. But the impact that he had rippled out across the world, um, even to the, to the, you know, as far as you could possibly go on this planet. Um, and I think that's a, a huge testament to the man. Wow. So thank you, Elan. Thank you for accompanying me on this um, <laughs> difficult journey in the last episode of Tide. And Amy sent me this cover of True Love Ways by Di. Um, and he had such an amazing voice. So Di, thank you. And play us out. Just you know what.